Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Superfan Chats. In this episode we are going to be chatting about episodes 19 to 25. So if you haven't listened to those episodes yet, go back and listen to them and this will be a nice reminder and then we get a chance to to chat about it with other superfans. With me today, as kind of a special surprise, you all know Superfan Hannah. Yeah, you do. And she is with me today, so you are in safe hands. But also joining us, we have the incredible Superfan Pippa Beckford. Say hi, Pippa. Hi, guys. Hey, thank you for having me on the show. I'm really excited about this because you are effectively like the foreknowledge on Ross Tall. Uh, I mean, like, that's that's big boots to fill, so let's <laughs> let's find out. But. I'm sure we will. So basically, I'm going to sit back now uh, and let these guys talk about all of the episodes and just pipe in every now and then with some off comment. Sound good? Sure. Great. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> we'll take over. You relax. Oh, you're all too kind. But uh, we do have a lot to talk about here because it's it's seven episodes. But fortunately, this is it's like five episodes of this make up this uh, second arc of the campaign so far. And it's been exciting. But we also need to go back and talk about what happened on the way to Vernock Rise. Yep. Uh, and we've got a nice little festival to chat about. Uh, so who was doing the homework for episode 19? That was you, Hannah. That would be me. Amazing. Yeah, so I guess we're going to keep these sort of mini recaps pretty snappy. So I'll dive right <laughs> in with episode 19, Hidden Histories, which is the episode where notably Enkidu is taken over by the evil guy inside him and attacks Juna. And Juna gets her familiar, which we have learned is Ruana. Yeah. Uh, the witch in the woods so is actually <laughs> now that Ruana's soul in some way has become Juna's familiar. She's still with us in some way. We get an inkling into Enkidu's backstory. Actually, more than an inkling, we get pretty much like a large chunk of Enkidu's backstory. Big I still dump, think yeah. there's like a lot he's not telling us at the same time. I'm sure there's all kinds of details, but he does get pretty vulnerable pretty fast after Juna manages to evade his attack. And we learn that basically Enkidu has a connection to the bastard son of the king. And Enkidu grew up in a brothel, which was attacked by someone called Alcibiades. Where does Daryl get these names? Such a cool name. It's so good. All of them are so good. 
And so this person basically also is the person that attacked Enkidu and the gang of his mates. There was a big explosion and basically Enkidu woke up after the explosion and essentially all his friends and Alcibiades were now inside him in his head. And so that's how he's been able to communicate with his they're like his patrons now, if we're talking warlock mechanics, but they're also his friends. And so Enkidu has realized he doesn't have control over Alcibiades and he needs to get him out like ASAP. So he confesses all of this to the group after almost killing Juna or attacking Juna, who manages to not get hurt. And it's really lovely. And Gwen is really sweet to him. She is know, She's so kind from? to him <laughs> and basically gives him an out for burning down the library. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, I'm sure it wasn't you. And I'm just, oh, it's given me hope for Gwen Kidu all over again. Then the, the other big thing that happens with that is Enkidu realizes finally it lands with him that he wasn't just out of the world for a month. Six years have gone by and he has just missed six whole years. So this is the moment where it actually finally computes for him that that's what's happened. And he has no idea what's happened in the last six years. So they then all decide after this big revelation to continue their journey to Vernock Rise, the city where they are supposed to meet Heron Ilwyn. And they get there and they realise there's the Heart of Spring Festival going on, which is a festival for the Luckbringer, the goddess. And there's flowers everywhere. They love it. They decide they're going to join in because they want to blend in with everyone. And then they go to meet Heron Ilwyn, who basically says, I'm part of the consortium, but I think it's built on a rotten foundation. And I quote when he says that partially because Kralavin Savelt was a founding member. So he wants all of them to investigate and be his researchers and investigate these different locations that are linked to different people in the Arcanist Consortium. And so they do choose one and that's how they sort of end up deciding where to go. He also pays them 150 gold each up front. And <laughs> Orin I mean, Orin's practically like... falls much to Orin. Yes. <laughs> yeah. He's like, wait, we, we what? We get what? So that's kind of really what happens in this episode is we get a massive Enkidu lore dump and then they arrive and chat to Heron Ilwyn, who is basically like, this group I'm a part of is super corrupt. Let's bring them down from the inside. Here's a chunk of money. Off you go. Really dangerous. Um, and that's episode 19 in a nutshell. Great. I mean, well rounded up as well. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think for everyone that moment when Enkidu was standing over Juno with the sword. And it, again, David's music. Very, very clever just to put in that almost like psycho sound. My heart jumped. Uh, then about too. you. Yeah. Just not really expecting it came out of left field but taught us that if you ever hear Enkidu try and make a patron check and he rolls a natural one, uh, bad shit is about to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're going to meet the bad guy. Yeah. What, what was his name again? Al- Alcibiades. Yep, Alcibiades. These are great names, yeah. Daryl. I mean, because uh, you've got Gilgamesh is the mm-hmm. potential king uh, who's also in there, who I don't think we've met yet because we've met Hina, we've met Light, yep. um, and we've obviously met Alcibiades. I think that's... Oh no, there's another there one. There might be another really one, but friend. I don't think it's Gilgamesh. There's Cal is the other name. Cal, that's it. Yes. His brother's So many head. characters, Daryl. So many characters all in one. <laughs> How did you do it? <laughs> I mean, I struggled to write one character backstory, let alone seven. 
Oh, Sam, is this the appropriate place to drop your theory about why Enkidu is a Hexblade warlock? Yeah, I, I did kind of talk about this before and it has maybe been shot down because I, I might have mentioned this to a cast member and they were like, uh, no. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I did kind of have this thought because we know from uh, the previous game uh, that Daryl asks David whether these guys were the same organization that jumped him why all of this happened for him so we know that Alcibiades was the leader of this group of the hex and that they may have had something to do with the king as well that's not quite been cleared up yet but I did wonder because he is a warlock and he summons packed weapons and one of them is the weapon of somebody who works for the hex that maybe it is the hex blades curse why they are inside him and that he's maybe taken it literally um, I like to think that's the case, but I now know that it's probably not. <laughs> I like it. I mean, even if it's not true, it's neat. Thank you. Well, pretend it's real. <laughs> it's real in this space. <laughs> Safe space. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so where else? Yeah, we, we've got to Vernup Rise. Mm. And there were several options that were put forward by Heron Ilwyn. Uh, oh, I'm just trying to think of my head. The one that um, I was really hoping they would go for, but they were like, we're going to go over this way because it's closer, was the tower that can only be seen by moonlight. Yeah, that sounds cool. Ooh. Don't worry. I think we'll get there. Um, but yes, they've gone towards uh, the Wingthrups who control, I think it's the east side of the I forest. Think they're in the, are they in the north? The, no, he said something so about northeast. It's east of the Lake Ward, yeah. I believe is the thing. So the Lake Ward is this uh, like massive area. You know, Ross Hall is a part. It's on the border of the Lake Ward. But yeah, they kind of decide that one's the the best one to go to, don't they? Yeah. Mm-hmm. After much discussion. Yeah. I think yeah. they decided to go in all three directions at one point or another. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just split the party. Why not? Go everywhere. Yeah. What's the worst um, that can happen? One thing I really loved was Enkidu explaining to Orin that the reason that Ilwyn had given them so much money is because it was super dangerous. So, because Orin <laughs> was like, oh, we just get it up front. What? And he was like, yep. And if we do it, we'll get more but basically he doesn't know his investment's going anywhere so he's just dropping some money and seeing what's going to happen sure. we might die yeah <laughs> Poor little it's, it's so cute the way that he reacts to it and I, I believed every moment of him just being like oh it's ours it's ours now and then just like the thing that ben does so well which is just a oh and you can tell so much from an O oh, and daryl so quickly picking up on it like oh yeah this is how somebody reacts when they see more money in one place than they've ever seen before it it was quite a cute there were several cute moments there were it's a good way of them um summing up their kind of past experiences without even having to say anything yeah but um it, it kind of i also did get the impression that uh from heron that these guys are very much a means to an end they understand enough about the consortium that he can hire them but there's no trust there's no like you know if they are in trouble i don't think heron Ilwyn is going to come to their aid no. it's more that like they are a loaded gun that he can point off in a direction and escape all suspicions from the higher-ups that's the impression that i got from heron Ilwyn anyway mm-hmm. and you know they talk about this whole organization being corrupt is he a, a climber you know is this a way of him getting to the next level of mm. the consortium mm. or is he has he really got good intentions and like no this organization is corrupt i want to clean it up 
Yeah, that's an interesting point. So suspicious. And then he tells them all to uh, buy each other a present for the Heart of Spring Festival, which I believe leads us to the next episode. Yeah. It does. So, uh, go on, Piffa. Tell shall us I, about episode 20. Shall I do a, a summing up of Luckbringer's Blessing? Oh, please do. Thank you. So, episode 20. So, obviously, our party are in Vernon Rise, and they've been asked to buy gifts for each other for this Heart of Spring Festival. And they've kind of each drawn names out of a hat so that they only have to buy one present for each other, a bit like a secret Santa. Secret goddess. Secret goddess, exactly. <laughs> that makes much more sense, doesn't it, saying it that way? Brilliant. Um, so mostly this episode is is just about them finding their present and us twigging quite easily about who's got who and trying to keep it a secret and then accidentally a couple of people say who they've got for their for their sort of <laughs> gift. Um, so the first person is Enkidu and he sets off, he goes into the craft quarter and finds a trinket shop. Uh, he finds this pied pipe mm. and he haggles the shopkeeper. He's assured that it's magical and the shopkeeper asks for an awful lot of gold, but he manages to haggle them down to, to 80. Uh, yeah, so it starts off at like 120 or something, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a high. ludicrous. High yeah. price. <laughs> so yeah, Enkidu does a good job of haggling him down quite a bit. Then you've got Orin, who finds his shiny shield, and he gets it engraved with symbols of Dram and the Western Pines and the Iron Chain. Juna, she goes to a bookstore, she finds two books for Orin, so he gets this book of notes, which he ends up using, and he also gets uh, Alchemy for Beginners, and she manages to get herself a little discount by charming the shopkeeper as well. Puts a little, little oh, yeah, tea bag in the, in the bag, it's a little bit of a, <laughs> little bit of a giveaway. My favourite one is is Gwen, who who manages. She bumps into this Rufus, and he <laughs> he leads her to the tipple, and um, she goes inside, and very innocently she pays a hundred gold and gets the two lovely friends and a tea caddy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be That's delivered so in the evening to Drake's. It's good that she pays for it up front. I love that <laughs> bit about oh, I should probably pay for it now in case I spend the money. <laughs> there's so there's so much implied in that scene. Oh, I, I know it's it. wonderful. Oh. Just my favorite <laughs> favorite run of double entendre is the whole way through. Yeah, mm. <laughs> I'm sure we'll talk about it in a Expertly second. Expertly played oh my God. Yeah, by absolutely. both David and Grace. Then Gaius Gaius heads to the upper ward and pops into this shop. Meets a very kind of haughty shopkeeper. Spots a spots a music box he likes and then. Leaves the shop and comes back disguised as Heron Ilwyn. Because, you know, <laughs> what could possibly go wrong with that? Picks up the trinket box and decides that he's not going to pay for it and sends the bill on to the consortium instead. <laughs> so that's all the gifts. Then the party go out and they kind of join in with the procession. They follow the, the crowd down through the streets, reach the open field, receive their lovely flowers, plant them in the field, have a nice evening. And then at the end, as the sun sets, all make their way back to Drake's, where the two friends are waiting for Juna <laughs> and Gwen. So good. I mean, you know, they, they kind of talk about it the next one and they deny that the anything happened. I don't believe that's true. I think there was something that happened and that Gwendolyn of Juna have just sworn <laughs> themselves to secrecy because Gwendolyn stays. Well, this like, is she the does thing. They stayed the night. Yeah. Mm. So good. And there's it's only so, funny. so much you could do with tea. <laughs> I think two other favourite moments were Orin trying to draw a design for the shield and the phrase, oh, what, you mean like a bush at the bottom? Yep. <laughs> and Orin going, no, 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 no. <laughs> and then also Gaius pretending to be Heron Ilwyn was also, I mean, Chris was so funny. 
just yeah it was was so funny but also when he was like oh yes just build a consortium and he forges a signature i mean Mm. that's gonna come back somewhere down the line i know it's so good absolutely these decisions that they make these snap decisions they're like oh that's a good idea and then david has such a way of just making you like you can hear the concern in his head or him going like oh okay yeah, the voice it's, goes up, because, doesn't it? Definitely. Yeah, all right, you're doing that. Which is like, <laughs> you can just hear doorways have opened for David, where he's like, oh, okay, you know, this can come back and, and haunt them in, in X, Y, or Z way. Absolutely. Um, very much yeah, I think that one's that. up there with the I punch an old woman for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to impersonate our employer and send a massive bill to the very powerful group of mages that we're supposed to be investigating. There's no way that this is a terrible idea. I'm going to do that. Yeah. It just, <laughs> unlike I'm going to punch an old woman, the consequences are probably going to come back a bit further down the line rather than be so immediate. <laughs> Plus it's like the the whole him being an arcanist doesn't help him at all, really, in the grand scheme of things. It doesn't get him a discount. The The shopkeeper doesn't treat him any better because he's being an arcanist. No. There is no benefit <laughs> to him, actually. You know, he might as well have walked out on the road, been like, okay, I'm going to come back in as a noble or something, or, or just, you know, somebody that looks like they've got a lot of money. Or to be honest, just as Gaius would well, probably yeah. work as well. Yeah, it's just Gaius all over. Was it worth it, guy? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I'm bitterly disappointed that either Gwen or Enkidu did not pull each other's names out of the hat because I would love to have seen what they bought each other. Yeah, That's been... a good question, actually. What would they have bought each other? I feel we may have to put this question to, to Daryl in the next <laughs> No Small Questions. <laughs> there's, there's one bit where Gwen just keeps giving Enkidu flowers and I'm just like, oh, come on, guys. Come on. It's going to happen. get it on. <laughs> <laughs> It'll happen. We, we've got to wait, though, because they have... Um, I have spoken about this. I, I'm pretty sure in No Small Questions there was a there was a particular question about when will Gwenkidu happen. I mean, I, yeah, I not... kind of asked about Gwenkidu. You did, didn't you? Yeah. yeah. And they didn't deny the possibility that it could happen. They were just saying, like, it has to happen organically. I think they, they said sort of episode 100, so... Yeah. Yeah. Well, that might have been me. I don't know. And maybe that was me. You. <laughs> me dreaming, anyway. I think maybe I said 50 and they said 100, but I'm sure we can talk them down from that lofty tree. (laughs) Um, But otherwise, just a really kind of nice, heartwarming, festive episode at a time when we all needed a bit of festive cheer, let's be honest, with all the rule changes in the real world. Indeed. Um, It was just kind of nice to see them having a, you know, no, no conflict that they didn't bring upon themselves. Um, you know, and uh, going out and buying buying cute little presents for each other. It was. It was lovely. It was very sweet. And I'm sure none of those presents would have adverse repercussions either. <laughs> like, I I wouldn't mention a pied pipe that he might have tried on, on Orin. Yeah. Because uh, that definitely won't crop up again in the future. <laughs> but funny enough, let's talk about the next episode and see if it does. Uh, so... <laughs> Uh, so Such the next episode was episode there. 21. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> episode 21, On the Road Again. This one was quite an item-heavy episode because obviously them giving gifts in the last one, it was a lot of finding out what those did, but also kind of working out what items in the past did as well. So first things, uh, as Hannah said, they choose their path and they decide that they're going to go up north towards the Lake Ward, but not before they contact Heron Ilwyn, because they basically want to work out if there is an agenda, if there's like, this one would be the first one to go for. So they eventually use Orin's book of notes, which 
works kind of like the sending spell. However, they can't send a message back. And he just basically blurts out this like, oh, you know, which of these tasks that you've sent us on do you want us to do first? And that will have appeared somewhere in his room so he kind of quickly gets this message back from heron just being like don't do that again yeah Um, gritted teeth yeah and and knowing how the spell sending works as well heron would have cast this three times for orin just to basically get this point across of like i don't care what you do just go and do one of them because they're all very very important (laughs) um so feeling a little bit like knocked back by that they're just like okay yeah we'll we'll go up there because it's it's closer to twain tide for juna they kind of want to check out the golden forest which is where this uh, particular mission is happening so they all decide like that's where we're going to go and they uh they they set off on their route after i think orin uh picks up some potions and supplies from his new alchemy book gaius buys a ridiculously expensive potion um and orin also picks up a pearl mm-hmm. which i do think is a good plot point but while they're on the road and they start discovering what these items are doing juna finds out that the the wand that they took from the ex-Lady Vondel, she kind of casts it on a tree and she realises that this is a wand of revealing. So it's able to cast fairy fire. Uh, We don't know on how many enemies at this point, potentially just the one, but basically make them light up and anybody that targets them has advantage. Amazingly useful. We also have a a bit of a powwow between Gaius and Orin as they talk about their memory swapping experience. Uh, We find out a little bit about Gaius's mum. Not enough, in my opinion, but we do find out that she's, in Gaius's words anyway, no longer around. But there was like one moment in his life, at least, that she was proud of him for this performance. Uh, So we hopefully touch on a bit of home truth with Gaius which is quite cute but it does make me wonder what happened to her yeah Uh, anyway right we'll come back to that (laughs) but um as they bed down for the night Orin starts to notice this strange melody playing in his head and he kind of like tunes his goggles and uses detect magic uh but then he's distracted because he learns that Juna's new tea caddy is also magic which prompts them to find out that this is a, a tea caddy of holding uh, which is just awesome uh, and then kind of like prompts Orin and Gwen to get all silly and they're like trying to stuff it with different things they like put a hammer in there and then they try and chuck a spear in there and like 50 foot of rope uh, as some kind of like joke for her but what they do notice in this moment they do like trying to find the source of the, this music Orin learns that Gaius's pipe is magical and it's giving off uh, like an enchantment ping Uh, But it is found out that the music that he's hearing in his head is not originating from this pipe. Hmm, very strange. Uh, So we get to the next morning and they arrive in this kind of like small village area called Allfield. uh, And they find a bunch of his two members of Lord Berrien's militia, his army, and they're handing out drinks to uh, potential army recruits. And they kind of get like caught in this conversation with them there and deftly kind of say, oh, no, we signed up at Berrien Field, so we don't need to do that. But they try and get a little bit more information, and they do find out that there is another contender for the throne. So it's not just Lord Berrien going for it. There's also uh, Timon Prevos, uh, who is definitely in contention, but doesn't want to keep things the way that they are. He wants to bring things back to the way they were before the Mortal Uprising. Uh, so definitely like certain races being above other races kind of getting the in- um, the inkling that this guy might be an elf potentially just based on Boo. how prevalent they were before the mortal uprising oh, fantasy fascism I know right 
But we also find out that Lord Berrien managed to get himself over a thousand new recruits from that drive that they did at Berrien Fields. So it's clearly working, and it's clearly worked on Lord Rosthall as well, because he's given them permission to be there today to get more people. So I think Frosting could be involved in many areas in the higher echelon as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, like after that, we have a, a moment where they talk about their purposes, and Enkidu goes all, you know, uh, grand purposey Gilgamesh for the throne, and like, you know, uh, we want to bring down the, the, the monarchy as it is and set up our own, at which Orin's like, whoa, <laughs> slow down, mate. <laughs> we're just we're level four <laughs> don't want to be taking on kings at the moment but there is a great quote from Enkidu where he says the journey of a thousand miles always begins with one step I don't know if that's a Daryllism but I love it oh. and it sums up Enkidu perfectly put that um, one on a picture and stick it on Instagram I love absolutely. it I know right that's inspirational a meme, right? quotes <laughs> yeah and then that kind of the episode draws to a close as they uh, they leave Allfield and they make camp for the night and it's, uh, it's Gaius and Juna on watch just over this campsite as Orin just randomly stands up and sleepwalks over to Gaius and like stands behind him staring at him. Mm. And then when they wake him up, it's very clear that he can still hear this pipe music in his head. Creepy. Spooky. <laughs> and that's, yeah, that's episode 21. I have to say shout out to David for the amazing pipe creepy music. I think it's brilliant. Mm. Every time you hear it, you're like, oh, here we go. Yeah, because he builds into it before they actually reference it as well. Yeah. Super clever. Yeah, when when you're talking about it now, it's like I can hear it in yeah, my mind. Yeah, that tune, it does stick it's in so your head, distinctive. It? Mm. Yeah, I don't know how he did it, but it's like, I feel like I'm being controlled by the pipe. Yeah. <laughs> so creepy it does sound does sound very pied pipey doesn't it it's how i imagine like somebody who's very very good at the recorder um (laughs) (laughs) trying to entice me outside oh this was this was a a good episode it was a lot of it was like them finding out what all their stuff did which was really cool and they've um they've got some pretty high powered stuff now like I, i mean I say high-powered, a lot of them are first-level spells, but they have a lot of spells that they can cast without expending a slot now because they've got the Ring of Suggestion. Um, they've got... I can't remember what Gaius's wand does now, but they now have a wand of Fairy Fire, so they're getting a lot of, like, classic bard abilities, but in items that they don't have to cast those spells. Yeah, so, uh, I'm, I'm Yeah, and it, it, Juna as well, who has the wand, is just instantly like, oh, I can cast magic. Gwen, here you go. <laughs> Chuck this at a tree. <laughs> But you know they're they're a lot more formidable than they um, than they used to be than the just like kind of hack and slash of the the first arc. Mm. Can anybody remember what Gaius's one does now? No, no, he hasn't. He hasn't Definitely used it since. Yeah, yeah. Don't remember. It was something interesting, but it's hard to keep track of all these items. I know we need uh, we need like a Trello board or something like that so that we can keep it all here <laughs> just in case <laughs> yeah. we need to to chat about it. They got the bony finger. No, I don't know. Definitely a, I mean, it said it in the title, On the Road Again. That was very much the feel that you got from this episode. It's like, right, okay, what have we learned from before? Where are we going now? Beginning of something new. Yeah, it very much feels the picture is very much getting bigger. It's a case of like, you know, it feels like the hobbits are leaving the Shire. Yeah. Yeah, And all this political intrigue, all the wider world, it's like the map is getting filled in and filled in and filled in. Like all these pieces of the puzzle are beginning to come together. And it's so wonderful how 
they're learning about it as the audience are learning about it. And then some of them already have these great backstories tied in. So there's so much intrigue. So exciting. Yeah, it's great. This is what you wanted as well, isn't it, Hannah? When uh, when we did our first uh, super fan chats and we were talking about it, you were like, oh, yeah, the wider world. And, <laughs> oh, <you know. laughs> Just can't wait to get going. It's like David's listened to that and go, huh? okay, tick. <laughs> okay, uh, who worked on episode 22? Uh, who took this one? Me! Episode 22. I mean, so first of all, the title, A Little Night Music. <laughs> For all the theatre nerds out there, what a brilliant, what a brilliant title. I'm enjoying um, these titles generally. Oh, yeah. they're so clever. Um, this one, most of it was trying to work out how the pipe works. What does it do? Who moves where? How long does it last? What's going on? So Orin sleepwalking, Gaius plays it again and uses, casts whatever spell it is over Juna. And then the music vanishes from Orin's head. But then this comes back later because he's not free from the enchantment. So there's something weird going on with this pipe. It's super powerful. <laughs> it's really OP. It's super <laughs> powerful in a way that is really ominous. <laughs> then Orin and Gwen, when they take the next watch, they decide to play a joke on Juna by storing things in the tea caddy of holding. And there's this whole very farcical sequence where they're trying different items, like spear is too big. Can we put something alive in it? Can we put Ruana in it? <laughs> <laughs> and David sort of helpfully says like um yeah if you put things in there they will suffocate and die <laughs> so maybe not <laughs> um so in the morning when they wake up they're like giggling like little children and basically are like Juna Juna what's in your caddy like trying to get her to figure <laughs> it out and she's very excited by it and Enkidu reiterates the DM's warning about don't put living things in there because they won't survive oh and there's an amazing moment where juna tells the whole story of the woodworker oh god yes it's so amazing good. this whole story where she's like oh dm can i tell the story and he's like yeah go for it and vicky's written this beautiful story that is like a fairy tale which apparently david knew nothing about as well yeah yeah she just puts it in there i mean what a treat it was so great it was like story time with juna makes me want her to read me stories all the time. Bonus content. <laughs> <gasps> oh my God. Yes, please. Bedtime stories with Juna. Vicky, please make it happen. Yes. Oh my God, I would pay so much money for that. <laughs> Put it on Sign Patreon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just add an extra 15 quid and we'll have it as the highest perk on Patreon. Yeah. <laughs> it's a house so visit good. from Vicky. <laughs> and then we get a little bit more about Orin after that. Little bit more. Not too much, though. Just a bit more about why he wants to go north. Mysterious. And then they set up camp for the night again, and both Juna and Orin are sleepwalking now. Oh, God. And yeah. go to stand over Gaius. And they're like, what is going on with this flute? Maybe we should put it in the caddy. And as soon as they start to do that, basically Gaius's head feels like it's going to explode with this horrible, screamy flute music. I mean, this makes me think this thing is pretty cursed. I know yep. Sam and I have talked off mic about how the flute is definitely, definitely cursed, 100%. even though it doesn't seem like it. But like, yeah, agreed. It's super cursed because, yeah, oh, 
Oh, I mean, it's spooky. got its own agenda. Like, it, it, it bonds to a person. And like, oh, yeah, definitely cursed. And it does it does make you feel like, how on earth can they ever get rid of it if they want to or need to? It's It's going to just be with them forever. Exactly. And how many people is it going to enchant if you keep playing the music at people? Yeah, this is this is what we we chat about the other day because it's this idea that right, okay, so you say you're you're in battle and Gaius is like, oh, actually, you know, having them move over there and then you know somebody can get through. You play this music to them and they're hooked on this same magical line. Does that mean if Gaius doesn't play, it doesn't do this stuff with the flute and they go to bed, does this person? get up wherever they are in the world and just start walking towards him how far do they walk before this magic ends are they walking for the entire time that they're sleeping will they wake up three towns over like it's god that's terrifying it's unknown but you know he could have if he plays this on enough people he could just like oh you know what um a hundred people are following me wherever i go It's super spooky. It's super spooky. Terrifying. And we just, don't, the other spooky thing is we don't know. We don't know what it does. No one's identified it properly. Uh, and no one will identify it properly. I think that's coming up. So after trying to work out what is going on, they're like, we'll just get to Rost Hall and hopefully someone there's going to help us. When they arrive in Rost Hall, <laughs> they learn there's a serial killer on the loose. And guess what? He's called the Faceless Footman because he changes his freaking face. Oh, That's God. not scary and <laughs> disturbing. So he can change his appearance. So nobody knows what the murderer actually looks like. What an amazing way to bring a fantasy serial killer in. I mean, I've thought about murder mysteries in my games before and I'm like, oh, but how could they do it when there's a world full of magic? Well, changing your appearance. That's a really good way of doing it. That's a good well way done, of doing David. It. Really, really smart. And also disturbing. Your brain. This whole like, yeah, me. can't trust your friends, can't trust your neighbours <laughs> anymore, can't even trust the officials, because like could be wearing your face. Well, speaking of officials, there is an arcanist there who was summoned to assist with the capture of the killer. And the killer has recently been apprehended. Or has he? Um, yeah. So they decide to stick around in Rosthall to find out a bit more about the Faceless Footman and the Arcanist. They go to the garrison to see if they can have a look at the prisoner, see what's going on. Juna changes Ruana into a mouse to see if the mouse can go into the prison and communicate and see something, but they're not successful. And then as they're leaving, a really suspicious looking person approaches them ostensibly harmlessly just for a chat but they recognize him as a member of the hex and that's where the episode ends creepy i mean literally i think david described him as creepy shifty yeah odd looking guy who later i mean because we're gonna learn about this anyway whose name is effectively jerk (laughs) yes jarek (laughs) like this guy is definitely not your friend I mean, um, this episode was actually, it was very funny, but it was really disturbing because we have mm. a definitely cursed pipe, a serial killer and a gang member all in pretty quick succession. Yeah, definitely a setup for uh, this kind of idea that like, they're not out of their depth, but the, the problems are continuing and there's there's more that they've got to deal with. And I do wonder whether, because David spoke about this when they were talking about the tea caddy. And it being a tea caddy of holding in the previous episode, David did mention like, oh, depending on what people rolled and, you know, blah, blah, blah. We had spoken about items that we might want. So was it David being like, okay, you can have the item that you want, but there's now a massive catch to it because of the way that you rolled uh, that he hadn't even, you know, imparted to Daryl. But yeah, it's the fact that the things on their person 
are messing with them and with a lot of them uh <laughs> and like you say the bringing in of this faceless footman this this murderer and like suspects could be anywhere and it, it got it got them into this line of thinking of like okay well they've arrested somebody but is this the right person anyone that i talk to now could be the murderer like you know um gaius went to sort bessie out and it's like okay no we need to keep gaius with us because we now definitely can't split the party it just gave the whole episode this ominous tone mm, yeah definitely which really needed after such a happy-go-lucky christmas episode <laughs> all the tension building Big contrast back up. between the two the two towns as well yeah it's like he lulled us into a full sense of security with this lovely heart of spring and everyone's happy there's flowers everywhere and then suddenly it's like haha didn't get too comfortable because it was also like the 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 npcs that they had in town that were like oh no no they've been caught now and then i think somebody mentions like oh well what if it's not them and like it's the way david describes their like worst fears being realized you're like no don't don't <laughs> don't start that this seeing their fear of it kind of made you think like oh okay yeah david wouldn't just drop this in and then not have it yeah. crop up later i'm gonna say plus I, I might be completely off on this but if they can change their face how do we know there's just one of them right exactly <sighs> <laughs> well, no, I'm sure it'll be fine because obviously they get reassurance in the next episode, right? Yeah, so much reassurance. Sure. Yeah. Pippa, what do you know about the next episode? The next, yeah, shall I move on? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, this uh, this episode, The Red House, it starts with this kind of conversation with Jarek, Jarek, however Vicky chooses to pronounce his name. Jerk. Um, jerk. <laughs> jerk face. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, mostly, mostly kind of Orin and Enkidu, they both very firmly decline his offer of help. <laughs> and Gwen, in her innocence, is like, well, why don't we want his help? And yeah, they explain to her exactly why they don't want this particular person's help. So they they kind of try and try and enter, but the the guards tell them to come back in the morning. They want to have a look at the library and things like that. Oh yeah. And they have a they have a little chat with these these guards, and they're like, yeah, no, I can't let you in. Um, come back in the morning. But they also mention that the, the arcanist, Clayne Eovet, is staying at the Red House. So knowing that they've got, you know, a, a knight to kill, they um, decide, well, I think it's Gwen's suggestion that they... Sorry, um, good choice of words there, a knight to kill. Hey. <laughs> Sorry, that, that would have been a good name for the episode. Carry that on. Would have been. <laughs> <laughs> they, um, yeah, so she decides that they can try and use her kind of family name and her noble connections to, um, in Orin's words, posh their way into the house. So, yeah, they successfully kind of talk their way in and they wait in the sitting room and they meet the arcanist, who's a very kind of bumbling, kind of head full of chaos, but very kind of jovial. Again, I think Vicky describes him as Father Christmas. (laughs) But way more pompous. Yeah. (laughs) Over dinner, they have a a good old conversation with him and he explains about how he found the faceless football by reading reading everyone's minds in the town and how this particular person's mind was very suspicious and thinking about all these murders they've just committed. Judah gets really suspicious of him and casts detect thoughts and realises that he's actually reading everybody in the room as well, which is not great given the mission that they've just been assigned to to partake in. <laughs> and Gaius tries to kind of distract him by presenting the pipe and saying, hey, look at this pipe. Can you give me some more information about what it is and explains kind of the problems they've been having with it? He takes a little look at it and just tells him it's a, an attention-seeking pipe and that it's pretty <laughs> harmless. 
And as the as the conversation continues, this arcanist then decides to delve deeper into Gwen's mind. And she's kind of desperately trying to keep him away from the thoughts about their their mission, about the kind of consortium conspiracy. And she's trying to think about her mother. And she thinks she's done this successfully, uh, but but leaves the table pretty quickly after this. Uh, and the rest of them follow suit as well. I think Juna kind of messages everybody else and realises what's gone on. They head upstairs to their rooms and they decide to to kind of share some rooms just in case something happens in the night with this kind of arcanist inside. There's a, a lovely moment where they bounce on the beds the next morning to make them look slept in. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> they ordered so the many rooms. <laughs> they ordered five rooms, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know, if you're going to push your way in, you do it properly, don't you? So Yeah, of course. <laughs> they um they steal some breakfast as well. So they go down to breakfast the next morning and they pop a, I think, a, a very nice croissant in a, inside the tea caddy. Take that with them for the journey. Uh, and then they head to the library. They split up to do their own researching. And as they are sat in a corner, Juna and Gaius notice a figure with the face of Gwen in librarian's clothes, carrying a, a stack of books, walk straight past them. And that's where the episode ends. Oh, so disturbing. God. Big episode. <laughs> I, I totally forgot how joyfully I reacted to Oren discovering there was a library in the town. I know. It was so cute when they were like, oh yeah, there's the library. And he was like, library? Library? Yeah. <laughs> like a little puppy so. that's just smelled food. Like, for me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, so oh, it's not the biggest library in the world, but it's the biggest one you've ever seen. It's yeah. Like, oh, it's <laughs> so cute. Go in. Oh, little orange. I mean, he is the kind of the little sweetheart of the group. Let's be honest. We all we all have a soft spot for, for Orin. Mm. Uh, and after Enkidu burnt all of the books that he wanted to read before, there's definitely a big part of us that's like, come on, David, how many books have you really written for this campaign? Please let Orin read them all. <laughs> I know. And Orin doesn't realise how funny he is sometimes as well. Oh, Yeah. It was that. And then the thing we talked about last episode, which was Gwen throwing her family name around which she has done again. She's leaving a massive trail of breadcrumbs right to herself because she's just throwing the Rose family name at literally anyone she can think of to get any kind of clout. And this is is definitely going to come back to bite her. And she left her family under a cloud. I mean, it's not like she's on the best terms with them in the first place. So you don't know if she does get into a sticky situation, whether they're even going to help her out. Well, exactly. We did also chat about the, the idea of like Colin DeBarge you know being jilted at the altar we don't know you know what this guy is like is he looking for a she's leaving this trail of breadcrumbs but also she keeps doing it in front of arcanists like throwing this name about you know the first time to get into the vondels and then the arcanist just so happened to show up at the end and then her kind of like using her name to gain entrance to this establishment to then meet an arcanist who decides to read her thoughts like yeah. it's and she did it in burying fields as well to try exactly. and get into the merry yeah. prince yeah. She's like, yeah, I'm just going to go here into the middle of this debauched drug fest and just name drop myself really obviously. <laughs> yeah, it's, what it's, are you doing, it's not going to come back to haunt her at all. <laughs> I don't think daddy's going to be very pleased. <laughs> but yeah, you know, what if he just completely cuts her off? Yeah. And then she's got nothing. Or, you know, how long is it before people start saying, oh, Gwendolyn Rose, I've heard about you and all the things that you've been up to. Yeah. Hussy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> A little yeah. bit creepy. Yeah. But I mean, also, um, sorry, hands up, like, not hands up because nobody can hear that. Um, 
But who is getting the sense that this clean Yvette is a dodgy mofo? Oh, 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. And I didn't, in my recap, I didn't mention his um, his scholar either, Oratrix, I think their name was. Oh, yeah, um, um, from the we, Asterix who books. We never, <laughs> who we never meet. Um, and despite Mouse Ruana having a good old scurry around the house, she doesn't bump into him anywhere either. And we oh, assume he true. exists because, wait, although they do have that discussion about the scholar wait, existing. Wait, wait. Wait, the scholar is a scholar, and then they see someone with Gwen's face in librarian's clothes carrying books. With a bunch of books, and it's... Why does... Why does this... Why do I they have loads of books? I just put that together. Why are they in the library? That was like, going to be th- my question. Why are they in the library? And it kind what, of... Is it... Is it What you're saying makes a lot of sense, yeah. Because... I mean... It's Yvette's scholar, who also might be the faceless footman. It's a possibility. Did we just... There's definite mind flashes going on right now. <laughs> Hannah, did you just turn a light bulb on? Or is that- <laughs> <laughs> I like that Bing. gif of that lady with all the calculations going past her face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that was, that was definitely one like big question that I had. It's like, why are, they, why are they in the library? Why are they picking up all these books in the light of day? Yeah, especially if it's... If it is the person that they caught already, why would the first thing they do be to go to the library and pick up these ones? And it, it kind of... It's massive wealth of knowledge here as well because we have like Orin uh, is is learning more about the Arcanist Consortium. He picks up a few of them. Um, we hear, oh god, you know what is they talk about again? Um, um, while you figure it out, also I think David pointed it out in this episode, but this particular Arcanist, Clay Evette, was sent specifically to try to read people's minds to figure out if they were murderers, and then the entire party were like. Oh, a really high-level mind reader person. Let's have dinner with him. Yeah. After we've been sent on a secret mission to investigate the Arcanists. It's like, oh, also, oh, you seem so interested in us. I wonder why. What are you doing, guys? What are you doing? Uh, I, I did just find that information, by the way. So it learns about the founding of the uh, the formation of the consortium, which is uh, following the accords uh, from the Mortal Uprising, which is when kind of like Dravain as a country was established. And it was this uh, circle of mages and the previous king, Rumaf Tarabor, that set up the Arcanist Consortium. And that's probably why, you know, Kral was placed in there as well. And we're getting, you know, a flashback to what we were hearing before about these six mages, six mirrors. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) They're the original Arcanists. Which one is do not trust? That's all I want to know. Exactly. All of them. All of them are do not trust. My God. (laughs) Which one's spooky... Cheshire cat Spooky face, face that tries mirror, to slam yeah. into the mirror. Yeah. yeah, who's that? Could be Clayney of it. That does that <laughs> no. does lead you to believe. I know it's not strictly about this episode, but it does lead you to believe that at least one of them is also still alive in oh, some yeah. shape or form, which is another terrifying 100%. prospect all by itself. I mean, Crowl was a lich. I fully believe there's another lich or something yeah. like a lich hanging around. It's Jenny, it's Jenny. Oh man, it was Jenny all along. Jenny. <laughs> of course it's Jenny but who is the faceless footman also Jenny <laughs> we established that there are loads of them yeah I, I, I'm I've got to be honest I'm a little bit on board with your theory here oh what that it's because, Oratrix yeah mm. and I will kind of like work on that theory a little bit later because there's okay when we talk about episodes later on there are a few things that just made me think like hmm well do you want to tell us about episode 24 um, yes, I will do that. 
uh, because <laughs> I was the person that did the next episode. That was well done for remembering that. Anyway, I'm going to talk now about episode 24, uh, which is entitled The Faceless Footman. So let's learn some things about them. This great, great episode, by the way, like really, really good on David's part. Great on the players who are kind of giving chase and kind of kept this really like dynamic soundscape of like, oh, this is happening over here and this is happening over here. Uh, but it kind of, it starts off with this moment in the library and like this rapid conversation between Gaius and Juna uh, who take off after this doppelganger. And then like Guy is following them more closely because Juna decides to stay and like try and uh, let the others know what's going on. Um, and that somebody's wearing Gwendolyn's face, which I think comes as a bit of a shock to Gwendolyn. Yep. But Gaius rounds the corner and basically sees this uh, shapeshifter in front of a guard who then slashes them across the eyes and makes a run for the courtyard. Uh, so Gaius is just like, ah, this way, they're going outside, they're going outside. <laughs> and then uh, like runs out of the courtyard into the crowd, somehow manages to spot where they're running and they've they've uh, changed into a drow. And then Gaius is like, right, okay, uh, what can I do here? I'm going to cast Disguise Self on myself and turn into Arcanist uh, Claim. But David does give him a little bit of an out there by saying, like, oh, you want to cast this in the middle of the crowd? To which Gaius is like, oh, okay, maybe I don't do that. Although he did roll for it. He did, So this episode could have been completely different if they're screaming faceless footman faceless footman and somebody changes shape right in front of them i think i know what the crowd's reaction might be yeah so fortunately gaius isn't arrested in this moment however what a benevolent dm david is honestly (laughs) really gave him a minute for that one i think a crueler person would have gone okay just let him do Let's it. See how this plays out. He does have a little bit of a cruel moment because the exact next thing that he does is the uh, when Orin, I think Enkidu and, and Juno run straight out and start to follow Gaius. But Orin decides to stay and try and help this guard out with the bees, with his healing bees. And Gwendolyn, not knowing what to do, decides to stay with Orin. So as soon as this guard is healed and comes round, is like, ah, faces footman, yeah. this person slashed me and promptly arrests her. So maybe not so kind of malevolent in that moment uh, because it basically takes both Orin and Gwendolyn out of the game as they try and convince this group of guards that it was somebody wearing her face. Uh, but they basically, like, you know, rugby tackle her to the ground and, you know, pin her down and, uh, you know, basically like, oh, yeah, when the Arcanist gets here, we'll get to the truth of this, but we can't let you go beforehand, no matter what they try and do to stop that. Uh, meanwhile, we've got the chase happening in the other part of town. Uh, like, you know, Gaius is chasing after, calling out different things. And Kidu casts Expeditious Retreat on him so he can move at double speed and, like, manages to catch up with them. And he sees... The uh, this drow now uh, disguised as a drow disappear into a clothing shop, and when they come in there, funnily enough, it's a bunch of people buying clothes, and there's no drow in there, um, and it takes Juna to catch up with them. Like Enkidu goes into a back room and nearly misses what happens. This person nearly gets away, uh, but Juna comes in and instantly is like detect thoughts, which just beautiful gameplay. I love how much this spell is is coming in handy. But, like, David does this great, like, oh, I like this dress. This is a very nice dress. And, oh, I don't think they're watching me anymore. Oh, that one was from the library. And they're like, oh, my God, oh, my God, do something about it. Um, But kind of tries to keep this doppelganger there and, you know, not let them out of the space. And then Akira's like, oh, I missed you step out the door. And I I punched them with my brass knuckles, Um, which kind of then turns into... 
an invasion of the body snatchers moment as this this shapeshifter assumes Enkidu's face and then promptly attempts to steal his clothes while they're just like fighting out in the street you've got like Juno chromatic orbing you've got Gaius um who's at the side he's trying all his his like bard spells he tries to cast hold person which doesn't take and then later he tries to cast sleep on them but this person's like no I know what you're doing and he gets a, a poison dagger to the shoulder for it but it's it's a big fight like they they are trying everything and sometimes rolling terribly can't land anything and then just as this this new version of Enkidu is starting to get away Gaius actually does manage to land a bard spell and it's a good one because he casts fairy fire which means that there is now a glowing purple Enkidu running along these streets and it just gives them that little bit of help to chase this person down and they eventually find themselves at a tavern called the wise man's nook this is where they finally see that flash of purple dart into a doorway and it's a tavern owned by a guy called Targus, who really, really doesn't want them to come in there, is adamant that nobody's been in there, that they're not allowed in. Uh, and it takes Gaius to cast Suggestion with his uber-powerful ring uh, and just be like, right, firstly, we are supposed to be here and go get the Arcanist. And so this guy just does, disappears out onto the street to do that, which gives these guys uh, a little bit of time to find this secret passageway, which they are denied entry to. But kind of really clever moment from Juna here because she chooses to send Ruana to go have a peek at what's happening in this secret area. And once Ruana makes her way down there, she, funnily enough, sees the oh-so-shifty jerky, uh, Jerick, who is having a conversation with uh, kind of a drow who's, or a female at least, whose uh, like glowingness is starting to dissipate, but then watches this person like having a... like intense conversation a debate with with Jerick and then hopping onto a wagon full of carpets and kind of like them all being piled on top of her to hide her out of sight and then we kind of cut back to the library and we find out what's going on there like Gwendolyn is still trying to convince them that this is happening and Orin does what Gaius was going to do disappears for a moment and he effectively casts disguise self on himself and he comes back as the arcanist what's going on here no she's not the problem very Boris Johnson and uh, finally manages to free her and there's this whole scene where the guards are like, oh, now we've got to check everyone in the town with your detect thoughts. We've kept everyone who was out, out in the courtyard and we've got them all lined up outside. And it's like 150 people that they were going to have to check over. But they managed to convince them that, no, we have to be out and looking for these people. And Gwendolyn's going to come with me because she's shown skills in this area. And it's at that moment that Targus turns up and basically says, like, oh, people are at my pub. no that pub so the guards go off to the other pub and Gwendolyn's like right I noticed that bit where is your pub we're going there then they turn up right at the end of the episode where Targus is basically like oh no we can't really have an arcanist in here because uh you know the kind of clientele that I have they won't really feel that great if there's an arcanist in the room but Juna and Enkidu really cleverly manage to say oh yeah we're here for the carpet delivery the carpet exchange so they barter themselves passage down to the underground area so long as the arcanist orin uh stays upstairs and this this plan works really really well literally until they enter the room where jerick is instantly just like no they're not (laughs) 
uh, completely rumbles the situation. Uh, yeah, that's that's the episode ends on a quite dodgy cliffhanger. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, amazing episode of just, everything was really fast paced. It was just a case of like keeping on this person, and there were so many times where they could have got away. Yeah, so, so many, many times. so many times where it just you know one number different, and it could have gone in such a completely different way. Yeah. For both parties as yeah. well. Like there was a sleep spell that just didn't quite have enough, mm-hmm. uh, you know, numbers rolled for it to just knock them out in that moment. But you think maybe maybe an Eldritch Blast later and that spell would have landed. And it's the same with whole person. Would have been perfect because it lasts for a minute. Yeah. But that's the spell that didn't land. The, the one that does is the fairy fire, which means that they can continue this chase. It's just, <laughs> it was so clever. And I do, I do so wonder what we would have learned if they did manage to stop this person. Yeah, it would be really interesting to, to have yeah. that just run over and over again and just see all the different possibilities, like multiple universe kind of... Yeah, I want to see David's tangential like storyline. And also what really would have happened if they hadn't managed to follow this person, if they never found the wise man's nook and seen where that went, what was planned for mm-hmm. if they didn't discover that? You know, would it just have been going back to the library and dealing with the whole Orin and Gwendolyn situation? Would that have been fleshed out more? But there yeah, I mean this 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 one again. Yeah, if the faceless footman had got away, maybe they wouldn't have needed to escape the city so quickly and therefore they would stay and whatever kind of ulterior motive they really have for doing all these extra murders, maybe their killing spree would have continued and we might have kind of found out what that thing they were trying to hide in their mind, what that what that really would have been. Mm. It's also, I don't know, this episode left me with so many questions. Mm. Same. Um, firstly, like who... You know, with the whole the, the carrying the books and stuff, it's clear that this person has an agenda. Mm. So, who were the people that died? Who were who was murdered? What was so special and who about them? Who did they frame? Them? Who did exactly. they frame? Exactly. I mean, it, it is kind of like revealed a little bit from the guards that the the person that they had arrested before had escaped. So, there's a high chance that okay, the arcanist did find this person and lock them up, but they somehow managed to escape the, or- the prison cell. Or, but, or they were let free. They were set Be- out by the Arcanist yeah. because... Because it- where's the Arcanist in this bit? Mm-hmm. Don't Why don't they turn really up? really dodgy. Yeah, they make a big thing about looking out to the courtyard and there's no Arcanist to be seen. You know, Orin checks and then Gwendolyn does a little check as well. Nothing to be seen. And also, Targus, although he does kind of say like, oh yeah, you know, the clientele that we have probably won't appreciate an Arcanist being in their presence. There's kind of a... There's a weird relationship between them there that I didn't get the sense that this guy was really in fear of the Arcanist. Like, he didn't seem to care whether the Arcanist knew what was going on downstairs. It was more about how the customers would react to seeing him. Mm. So so do the Arcanists there... have a connection to the Hex? Exactly. And or is that connection plain ear vet? Is it? I don't trust that guy. I don't trust him one bit. You know, and he, he still hasn't turned up by the end of the episode when there's all this, like, fighting going on in the streets um somebody's oh bless them somebody's shop window gets smashed twice uh, <laughs> it's a it's a big spell slinger of an episode chase thing that we all needed yeah definitely, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> it was very exciting and then it kind of in the next episode has a bit of a weird resolution i find at least well i mean resolution is a is a choice of words isn't <laughs> well it? that's what i mean like <laughs> what what happens from there 
is well, yeah, uh, Pippa, of... do you want to tell us what happens in the next one and then we can kind of like round up the discussion sure. yeah, so, based on what we learn? Mm-hmm. Um, so this one is called The Carpet Job and it, it starts up again down in the cellar with Jarek and Targus. You've got uh, Juna and Enkidu. Enkidu decides he's going to try and fight his way out of this and um, they get hit by a frosting bomb and immediately become completely compliant and... Jarek decides the best thing to do is to tell them to roll themselves up in some carpets and have a little nap. And obviously they, they have to do this. But Juna manages to send off little mouse Rowana. She finds Gwen and they, between the three of them, with Orin still in his disguise, kind of head off to the to the cellar. Like little mouse Rowana manages to show them where to go. And um, they kind of deliberate about going down and they go into the cellar but Jarek sees through Orin's kind of arcanist disguise <laughs> there's another frosting bomb and out of all of them Gaius is the only one not affected um, thankfully he realises that he's completely outnumbered and out of his depth he plays along with the frosting thing all of them end up in the carpets and after you know a bit of time everyone else apart from Gaius is obviously told to go and have a little sleep so they do the, the wagon's set off. Once they're clear of the city, Gaius sort of wiggles free of his carpet, ties up the driver of the wagon, frees his friends. And my favourite moment is just him absolutely flummoxed about what to do with his four poor friends who are <laughs> just, you know, completely incapacitated. He's trying to do things to help them recover. He's going, let's go dunk our heads in the river. Let's, um, you know, let's have some game of slapsies. <laughs> throw your tea away exactly yep <laughs> um he realizes they've just got to sleep it off so he releases the wagon driver was that a good idea was that not and they kind of sleep it off they have a have a discussion once they're recovered they decide to go grab bessie and then kind of continue on to the golden forest and not go back inside the city and then there's like a couple of other little things Orin sends heron an update about you know the mysterious scholar and the arcanist um, Juna gives Gwen the pearl necklace from Deacon from the card game that happens at that point as well they continue on their journey and then in the next morning they glimpse Lake Dravain for the first time and then the episode ends by this young girl running out from a clump of trees screaming her head off and she's being chased by this molten mass of fire and water <laughs> and both of them are running directly towards the party perfect so they're like, we're in a town, there's a serial killer, there's something shifty going on, there's something to do with the hex. Oh, we've been kidnapped. Ah, oh, let's not go back. Let's yeah. not touch it. <laughs> too too yeah. hard, too complicated, not going back there. So who knows what's still going on? Yeah, I want to know what was going back on in that city once they've left. Exactly. I mean, because they do find out that it's not the same wagon that they were on that the, uh, yes, the, the faceless right. footman got onto. Though there was a moment, so was- wasn't there, where Gaius was like... Ooh, do I see anything moving on the wagon? <laughs> and just for a moment, you're like, no. It had its moments of cuteness, though, again, this episode of just like, you know, everyone being like, oh, yeah, okay, I'll go get in a carpet. Yeah, that sounds really nice. Oh, it's quite <laughs> snuggly. Can't breathe, but it's nice in yeah. here. I love um, a frosted and Enkidu and frosted Juno. So good. Yeah. <laughs> and the fact that Enkidu's patrons in his head were just going, no. Yeah, screaming at him. <laughs> yeah, and he's just, you know, talking about, he's like, oh, you know, what do you think I should do, guys? And just having a conversation with what seems to be like nobody. But it, so frosting is, 
I, I mean, I'm I'm struggling to think of another item that is that powerful in game because it's effectively like a, some kind of charm, mm. but using it weaponized as like a, a bomb that takes so many people out it's literally you fail that one throw that that one saving throw roll that's it you're done for hours yeah and depending on the dose quantity like you know gwendolyn had when they're at Berrien fields quite a lot just completely takes them out of the game mm, yeah is this where um orin's book his beginner's alchemy recipe book there was a recipe for bottled smoke i'm wondering whether given that they've got some frosting that they pinched from Berrien fields could he make himself? Could they a make frosting a bomb? frosting bomb? Bottled <gasps> smoke frosting. Oh, I don't know. Does that work? Is that a thing? I I, mean, I hope so. If anyone could work it out, it's Orin. Yeah. I kind of want to see Orin like Batman. <laughs> it's all like, the gadgets. You know, the owl bear man. Uh, or <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to imagine Orin going. I am the knight. <laughs> <laughs> It's like the faceman foot, the faceless footman. I am Rostal's reckoning. Uh, <laughs> I love this concept, but yeah, it's, it's so many loose ends, and you know, David again. He's like, okay, well, you've chosen to go this way. Here's a girl, massive elemental. You've got to deal with that now. So you can't just get to the beginning of the next episode and be like, oh no, you know, we're going to go back. They've committed now yeah, yeah. to the next stage of the journey. So yeah. all of that, you know, the like we were saying before the Rose name being dropped in there. They now know that Gwendolyn had a lot to do with it. Uh, you know, she was momentarily arrested. If that gets back to the Arcanist, he's going to be like, oh yes, that's Gwendolyn Rose. I saw them yesterday. And the other person impersonating me would have been a part of that party. They've got an instant scapegoat of somebody using some kind of transformation spell on themselves, some kind of illusion to make them appear as somebody else. They can instantly, if they are these people behind the faceless footman, they can be like, right, it's them. Mm. Where have they gone? Yeah. They basically came to town, had a dodgy conversation with an arcanist, got involved in this massive kerfuffle at the library, and then bounced. They just yeah. disappeared, leaving like a wake of huge confusion, especially because hysteria, yeah. the <laughs> prisoner has now escaped. And then they've left chaos and then gone, nah, we're not going to go back and clear that up. Yeah. Seems too yeah. difficult and scary. Let's keep going. I mean, I, I understand that cut and run mentality, but when you are at the heart of something huge, I mean, they, you know, the guards are involved in this and know who a bunch of them are. Like I say, the Arcanist knows. And then they just have this brawl in the street with this face swapping person. So there are so many witnesses to the fact that they are involved in this. You know, they, they weren't and exactly Targus careful about where knows. they were sending their spells. Yes, Targus, exactly. who mm -hmm. enables the Hex to do some shady stuff, also now knows exactly what all of them look like and knows they were involved in all that. Yeah. For a group of people on a secret mission, they're not being particularly stealthy. <laughs> oh, my God. Level four. Yeah, yeah. I, um, just one extra thing on this one. I, I enjoyed... Um, it was obviously really funny with, with Gaius looking after his frosted friends, but I, I liked that he almost had like a kind of like a, a moral moment and actually realised he was, you know... A Gaius from like episode three or four would have been like, yeah, this is great. Let's let's mess with these people. But actually, he's he's grown throughout these these episodes. And now he's he's wants to look after his friends and make sure they don't come to harm. And that that thing about them not being able to give their consent about their backstories. And I thought that was really yeah. sweet just to see how far he's come. Yeah, yeah it was. Uh, and this is something that Chris does really, really well, yeah. uh, is that he constantly gives us Gaius's internal monologue the conflict that he is going through in those moments 
So you do get to see him evolve. It's not like the way Ben plays Orin, which is very much like a closed book that you... It's very insular, yeah. You warm to, yeah. You know, you, you kind of get notes of, of who Orin is. But Ben isn't there going like, oh, you know, well, Orin's thinking this and, you know, so therefore, but what comes out of his mouth is this. Yeah. We kind of have a sense that we know who Orin is, but it, what we get from Chris is his journey to that and like how much of what then comes out of his mouth is a lie he's keeping us uh you know this kind of like audience knowing more than the rest of the characters do yeah which is such an interesting thing for the character that he's chosen to play definitely it's great big up my mate so excited (laughs) i'm so excited to see how it all continues to develop absolutely yeah because we've almost caught up now. There have been a couple of episodes that have been released that I'm looking forward to chatting with you guys again, Emma. And uh, Pippa, are you going to join us again? I would love to, if you're happy to have me back. Yeah. I would love to come back. Come yeah, back, Yeah, please, because it's cut our workload in half. Well, so that's, yeah, that's, please, that's, that's fine. fine. <laughs> <I'm joking. laughs> it's nice to have people to just geek out about it. Yeah, mm. it's so great. Oh, 100%. We have a lot of fun here. Yeah, and hopefully next things. time we'll have fewer episodes to sum up, so we'll have more geek out time. Delve deeper, yeah, exactly. I, I, Get deeper into some theories. Hundred percent. And I could tell that there was more that we wanted to say on these. Uh, and if we had the time in our recording schedule, we would one hundred percent do that. Uh, yeah, it would we'll be a three-hour special. But <laughs> yeah, one Easily. day, one day. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do that next week. Awesome, yeah. I'm there. Um, but I think we are, we may have like ever so slightly run over on time, but that's not as bad as I thought it was going to be for a seven episode stretch. No, so, I think we've done <laughs> yeah, pretty I think well. we were pretty concise. Yeah. <laughs> Apart from no, some of okay. my retellings, maybe. Not at all. No. Got a bit excited no. about fleeing Great. across rooftops. But to our, our listeners, thank you so much for joining us. I'm pretty sure if you've made it this far and you're listening to a Superfan Chat episode that we can probably call you Superfans as well. Uh, so if you want to join in with the discussion, uh, please do message us with your thoughts, your theories based on relevant episodes. Do it to the social media because it, it helps other people find this podcast as well, mm-hmm. which I think we can all agree is definitely something we should be doing. Something Other people special. need to hear this. It really and- is sign up to patreon so you can ask questions on the no small questions yeah and uh you know posit your theories about who the faceless footman is yeah actually i want to know what other people think yeah me too right who do you think let's start i don't think it's gaius that's the only (laughs) person i'm sure it's not it could be i mean Oh gosh! Yeah, what if he's able to duplicate himself? No, I mean Enkidu's got more than one person inside him. What if Gaius is multiple people? (gasps) Dun 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 dun! And on that bombshell, (laughs) I was just uh, gonna say, are we doing? Are we doing the sign off? No, we're doing one or three. Uh, The three one. The three one. Okay, ready? Okay, so Anon for now. now. Anon, everyone, love you. That's the best that we got. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.